Today's scripture comes from <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. And he will place a sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God. We're in part seven of our series, Sharing Bread from Heaven. And this is a series about evangelism. And some of you may be wondering, why are we hearing this, well, quite frankly, this scary passage about caring for the poor? Because that's what this passage is about. It's about, it's about showing mercy and kindness to those who are hungry or who are sick, who are in prison, who are naked. And because we, we, we called this series Sharing Bread from Heaven because evangelism, I don't, we don't want you to have this idea that it's kind of like this religious activity. But ultimately, we, Jesus himself calls himself the bread from heaven that if you receive a bread which is more than the stuff of this earth, it'll, it will, that he is a, the ultimate bread that we need to have to, um, to live unto eternal life. But if we live here in this time and there is somebody who is hungry and we won't give him literal bread. <laughs> so I'm hungry. I, I need clothes. I need shelter. And we won't help him with those literal things. How can we say, well, we have a, a greater home for you. We have a, a deeper bread to offer you. Isn't that just, doesn't that sound like something fake? Something filled with hypocrisy? And so... As we go through this series, it, I, I, I think that it's, it's impossible to not have an important message about the nature of mercy. Because there's an intrinsic connection between having mercy on those who are hurting and weak in our culture and in our, in our city and of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about today in this message called Mercy 
and witness. And I'll do this in three parts. Part one, mercy is not optional. Mercy is not optional. Or let me put it to you this way. Um, mercy is compelled by grace. It's compelled by grace. Part two, gospel, wisdom, and witness. In this part, I want to give you some, some wisdom points because this, this isn't an easy message, and it's not easy for us to apply it. And I want to give you some wisdom points which will help you know, grow and make our witness shine brighter. And part three, Jesus himself is mercy and grace to the poor. Jesus himself is mercy and grace to the poor. Um, let's, go to, let's get into this passage, part one. Mercy is not optional. Now, um, this, this is a really famous portion of Scripture. And um, do you, did, when you heard this read out loud, did you notice that it's pretty scary? <laughs> that it's scary, isn't it? It's, uh, there, are a lot, there are people who think that Jesus says all the really nice things, and like Paul, he says the mean things. But that's really kind of I, I remember reading this many years ago. C.S. Lewis said, Actually, it's Paul that says a lot of the really nice stuff, and Jesus says a lot of terrifying things, and this is one of them. I mean, whenever Jesus talks about, there's, there's those on the right, and you know where they end up, and then there's on the left, and then they end up, you know, well, they burn. Um, Jesus is talking about heaven. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about damnation. And you notice the way he puts this out. It would be nice if he said, those on the right, I asked you a question. Do you believe in the gospel? Yes, I believe in the gospel. All right, you're, you're accepted. Wait, you didn't know about me through the gospel? Okay, well, you're not going to make it. Isn't, there's, that's, the, that's kind of the message we would like to hear, wouldn't it be? But that's not the way he presents it at all. It's actually, I mean, one of the things that makes this, uh, this message so terrifying is he doesn't present it in, in this kind of like faith confession. It's really about something that we do. So doesn't it seem like, you know, you didn't do this. You did not do, you did not clothe me. You did not, you did not welcome me when I was a stranger. And, well, then that's why you're going to burn. And doesn't it sound pretty much directly like works righteousness? <laughs> now, look, um, there, in one sense... This, this, this was said by Jesus, which just makes it even all the more terrifying that it's in the Bible. But everybody really knows that this is true, isn't it? I mean, do you really need to be told in one sense that this is true? I mean, you could be a Buddhist. You could be a Muslim. You could even be a secular agnostic. And you can know that if you don't care one bit and do nothing for the poor, you really do deserve to go. I mean, there's secular agnostics who say, I don't really know if there's a hell, but if, you know, I guess the people who don't do anything for the poor, that, that's probably where they deserve to go, right? Even they know that. And so, and this is the way we are likely to hear this message, but understand that you can't take one portion out of the Bible and pit it against other portions of the Bible. You have to understand that the Bible is very explicit. It's very crystal clear that salvation is not by the things that we earn, but it is something that it's all by faith through grace, through the redemptive work of Jesus. That's clear. It's absolutely crystal clear in the Bible. It's, it's passages like these that seem more like kind of the outlier, but why does Jesus put it this way? And when Jesus puts it so starkly, I mean, how can we not take it seriously? Now, in one sense, um, it, it's, it's meant to scare us. <laughs> it is absolutely meant to scare us. 
Why? Because it is putting the, um, it is making us ask this question. Because the real issue in the Bible is, do you know Jesus? <laughs> do you really know Jesus? And one of the things Jesus here is saying is this. If you, so notice he says, hey, he turns to the person, come, you, you, you fed me when I was hungry. You welcomed me when I was a stranger. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And then, then they ask this question. Uh, Jesus, uh, when, did that ever, when did we ever do any of that stuff? I don't ever remember um, clothing you or feeding you or anything like this. And then Jesus' answer is this. As long as you did this to the least of these my brothers, well, you did it to me. And then you notice when he goes to the, the people on the, you know, on, on the bad side, right, on the scary side, they ask the exact same question. When did we not do this? When did we not feed you or clothe you or welcome you or visit you? All these kinds of things. And then Jesus says, well, you didn't do it to me. So the, the fundamental question is, is, do you know Jesus? You know what Jesus is doing here? All throughout the Old Testament, there's many places in the Bible. I mean, I, I remember once hearing that Jonathan Edwards says, you want to know like two things that are absolutely crystal clear in the Bible. One is that salvation is by faith through Jesus Christ. You know the other thing that's absolutely crystal clear in the Bible? You have to be utterly deaf, dumb, and blind and not have to read to, to, um, to miss this, that God deeply loves the poor. In fact, he doesn't just love the poor, he identifies with the poor. And all throughout the Old Testament, it says, if you reject the stranger in your midst, if you won't feed me, then you, they feed these people, you don't feed me. And so then when Jesus says these words, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm that God. And if you don't do these things, do you, you don't even know me, do you? <laughs> do you not? Do you, you don't even know me. And there is this deep intrinsic connection here that Jesus is trying to get at. In order to believe in Jesus, you have to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, here, here's the thing that the way God looks at everybody. Now, I, I said this to you in these last couple of messages. I was quoting this guy, Andrew Claven, from his, his book, The Great Good King, because this is how he got saved. I mean, he's a secular Jew, and this is how he got saved. And one of the things he says is that the great good thing is not money or status or comfort or anything that's in really quite a bit. It's, it's actually love, that love from God, which lasts forever and ever, this is the real, this is the thing that's real, and all this other stuff is the lesser thing. But that when God looks at us, that's how he sees us. I know that when we look at the world, we see, like, okay, I got a good education, and I make an X amount of money, and I'm a good, reputable person, and I, you know, I live in this comfortable place, and I get to, you know, you know I'm a good person, and, and I, I take care of them. And those people over there, they're poor. Some of them are poor, not from their fault, and some of them are poor because they're bad or whatever. But, you know, those are those people, and those are the people that are, but that's not how God looks at us. When God looks at us, he, he sees that we're constantly trying to clothe ourselves with something else because we think that we're nothing without it. He knows that we're hungry, but we're trying to fill our hunger with entertainment. There are, do you know there are people in this city that have a million dollars, but they're in their own prison? It's a prison. It's a much worse prison than the ones that's got bars that they're in the jail. They're, it's a prison built with their pride. It's a prison built that's, that makes them blind. It's locked from the inside with their self-righteousness. It's a much worse kind of prison. And 
you know, a lot of times we don't like to give money to somebody because, like, let's say some person begs for you, and so you're like, well, how do I know this person is not an, uh, an addict? They're, like, not a deserving poor person for me to help. But quite frankly, before God, we're all desperately poor. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see the money or he doesn't look at our clothes because, quite frankly, when he looks inside, he sees the thing that's real. And the thing that's real is that deep down inside, we're all desperately poor and hungry and locked in a prison. And the thing that was, that's really real that we need, his love, we don't have. <laughs> so that's when he looks at us. So when you think about it, from God's perspective, there's the millionaire who's in the prison of his pride. But we only see the homeless person on the street or the person, you know, at, at that red light that you, you know, you sign and he, he's waiting there. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's, you guys know what I'm talking about, the person at that red light that makes you feel guilty every Monday morning. And that's what we see. And we're like, oh, that's the person that's poor. But that's not how God sees it. <laughs> and when he looked at us, we were all undeserving. We were all undeserving. And he gave us mercy. He gave us mercy when we were undeserving. And that's like the way we look at, the, we look at everything in such a blind way, which fills us with pride. But actually, the real truth is, if you really knew Jesus, then you know that this is you. That's what this passage is trying to get at. You, do you really know me? You really get the gospel? Because if you do, you would know that I did this for you. That's what this message is about. So this is why, in a very real way, there's this deep, intrinsic connection. If you know Jesus, it's not just ever just about me and Jesus. If you know Jesus, it it will change the way you treat other people. It just changes the way you treat other people. That's that's. There's other places in the Bible, for instance, where Jesus says really terrifying things. Okay, so I'll give you an example. He says, if you do not forgive this other person, I won't forgive you. You know what that means? If Jesus doesn't forgive you, you understand what that means? The implication of Jesus not forgiving you means you go to hell. That's what it means. So notice, if you know Jesus, he forgives you. It has an impact on how you treat this other person. You're supposed to forgive this other person, even though they may have done something terrible to you. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, of course they don't, but neither do you. And so this is, this is the, the gospel, and at a very core place, one of these things of how do we treat people who are undeserving? <laughs> undeserving. It's an acid test of do you really know Jesus? You really know who Jesus is and what he has done for you and who you are and how he has loved you, you really know this. And so this is why as long as you hear this kind of message, typically we hear this message and we're like, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Uh, I mean, we live, in, we, we live in an economically segregated city. I mean, so we, we generally like, I'm, I'm comfortable here with all my homeboys, but those are the uncomfortable people over there. You know, they, they can stay over there which is why I don't like it when they stand on the, you know, the red light where that, that I always have to go through to go to work. But um, so we're sitting there. But when, if we, have, we, we hear a passage like this and we, we react, and then you know, on Monday you go, oh, I better get $5 to that guy. You know, if you just do that, do you know you're not, you're not doing this out of being saved by Jesus. You're just doing this out of just like any non-Christian could do it. <laughs> In order to be a good person... <laughs> In other words, if you do it out of fear and out of guilt, 
Really, you're just doing it to earn your own righteousness. Now you're practicing works righteousness, and you're actually being a Pharisee, not being a Christian. So, really, this passage here is asking you this question. You understand you're saved by grace? (laughs) And if we're saved by grace, the reason it's not optional is not because it's fundamentally a law, but because we're compelled not by the guilt, but by grace. Because you know that you have received the grace you never deserved, then should you not also, well, this other person who doesn't deserve it, should you not also offer them something of the grace that they've received? Because you see, it's really ultimately not about, you know, about solving poverty. <laughs> That's really not what it's about. <laughs> we think, if I do this, then I will like, then I'll try to help. C- come on, we're not going to solve poverty. Jesus said himself that the poor we, we will always have with us. We're not going to solve poverty. There will always, because this is a world that's not, where he doesn't reign. It does, he's not in control yet. He does reign, just the world doesn't know it. We're in rebellion against the world. And because we're in rebellion against the world, we'll always have poverty. We'll always oppress the poor. There'll always be people who, who fall through the cracks, sometimes of their own fault and some combination of not their own fault. It's always going to be the case. But why do we do it? Because the most real thing, is him. It's when we do this, we're not going to say, well, I'm going to try to solve your poverty. No, I'm going to show you something of the love of the mercy that I receive from Jesus. That's what we're doing this for. You see how this is witness? It's not about solving poverty. It's about saying that we are signposts, that there is another world, another way, another savior, that there is a different kind of hope. That's what we're doing. Now, let me go to part two of my message. Um, I know this is not easy, so I want, to give, I want to give you some wisdom points. Wisdom from the gospel, not just like, oh, I, I'm going to just try to be smart and figure things out. But there's a gospel wisdom. And most of us, when, I, you know, when I'm trying to press this thing about if you do this out of guilt, you're a Pharisee, I hope a lot of you are thinking, I'm a, I guess I'm a Pharisee, because guess what? Most of us are. Most of us who are walking through life repenting of Phariseeism, trying to really learn what it means to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. And, um, but in, since we don't really know how to do this, we, we generally just like, approach this question of poverty through works righteousness, through the Pharisaical law, not through grace. And so in order to do this, we need some wisdom points, and I want to offer you some things that I think can help. Okay? So the first one is... Um, there is a practice in the Old Testament called um, gleaning that, the, that God commanded Israel to do. And so what, what is gleaning? If you had some means back then, you might own a field. And then, you know, in order for you to, uh, to have wealth, you would go, you know, there'd be the right season, and then you would reap everything after everything grows. So you would go and get all the wheat. But then God ex- explicitly forbid that you would go around a second time. So you go pick everything up, and then, of course, some of the wheat falls, and you don't get all of it, right? God explicitly forbade you to go back and pick up the rest. Why? So that out of, you know, the overflow of what he gave us and provided for us, in other words, kind of like of your leftovers, if you want to put it that way, of everything you you couldn't get, God did not want us to get every penny. He's saying, don't use every penny. Don't use all your wheat for yourself and for yourself, um, for your, because some of it I gave to you so that it would overflow and that the poor could come into the field and they could be fed because you don't go back and pick it up. So what is this principle trying to say? 
So that God is constantly generous to us. He gave you your talents. He gave you your, your uh, health. He gave you job opportunity. He gave you all the things that you need so that you can live nicely. But here's the principle that you cannot take. Don't use every penny for yourself. Don't use your time, your money, your talents and energy. Leave some space. There should be some margin that is left over in your life. So some of you might have money. Well, they, they don't use every penny for your Leave some money because you're going to say, this, this is for me to be mindful of the poor. Don't use, we t- I know we're very busy people in our time, so, look, oh, i got to use every single minute, and we try to be super-duper um, efficient, but it can't be that way. God says, no. Take something of what God has given you and leave margin in your life so that you can be mindful. We can be mindful of the, those people who have less, those people who are hurting around in the midst of us. And... Um, and then guess what? Jesus is going to show up, except he doesn't look like what you thought he was going to look like. He's going to look, he's going to be in the guise. He identifies so deeply. I mean, obviously, that's not literally Jesus. But when he says, when you don't do it to them, you never had any mindfulness. I told you to glean. So that's the first one. Have some margin in your life where you have some money, some time, some energy, maybe your talents for people who are hurting. That's the first one. Second one. Um, now, so it's, uh, most of us don't tend to do this. We'll probably do this out of, we, we don't know how to deal with this. Since most of us are constantly, we're busy, harried people, and we're trying to get every, every little dollar and every little minute for ourselves, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm terrible. Like, I, I, every little minute, I have to, like, listen to the right thing on my podcast. And so, like, if a guy begs to me while I'm at the, stop, at the red light and he interrupts my podcast, I, I actually think he's annoying, okay? It's like Jesus shows up, and I'm like, Jesus, I mean, I mean, of course, I'm not, I don't actually say this, but basically Jesus is annoying. And this is what we're like. And because we don't create margin in our life for people who are hurting, so then when poverty does break into our life, what do we do? Then we just react by guilt, right? Some of you are going to go, oh, 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 that message that Pastor Susan gave, I, 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 I better give $5 to this guy. Because <laughs> that's what we're going to do. But now you're operating like a Pharisee, not like, like a Christian. So the, this next wisdom point I'll give you is choose. Have a plan. Because like I told you, we, we're not going to solve all of poverty. So What are we here to do? Pick an area of your life. If you can pick one area of your life where you can be mindful of the poor and of the hurting, then maybe some other areas of life you can start to grow. But mostly we're not mindful at all, so then as soon as some kind of poverty comes, we just feel kind of guilty, and then, you know, like, you know, like we we just do something. And then there, so you have the people who don't feel as guilty, so then they just kind of give like a token buck every now and then. And then you have the people who feel really guilty, so then they constantly are doing these things, and so, but they're doing it out of guilt. But neither of them is the right way to do it. Choose. Have a plan. So maybe you will um, you'll say, I don't have money. I don't have money, but what I can do is I can, you know, volunteer, you know, because like, I can volunteer for the single women that are hurting at heritage homes. Hey, there's this effort at our church about heritage homes, and so maybe I will go do that. I don't have much money, but I can volunteer some of my time and some of my my, my talent, and then you go do that. And then if somebody begs for you on the street, you you know what? You can say say no. (laughs) 
Or you can say, I'm not going to give money to this guy, but I do care about homeless people. So then what you do is you're going to go intentionally look for a ministry that you say, I will support. And so I'm going to give my money to these people because these people make a real difference in lives like hurting like this person. And at this point, they're not going to say no. So have a plan. Because, look, you and I aren't going to solve things, and you're not going to, but, but it's important that we love Jesus when he comes into our life, right, in some way. Some, some place in our life, Jesus is going to break in, and we should meet him and do this and pick something. So I'll just give you an, um, a way how my, my family does it. I mean, it's not perfect. I'm just, it's just like, like I said in the past, it is sometimes just helpful to have an example <laughs> you know, even if it's an imperfect one. So the way we do it is there's certain ministries that we care about. And um, every now and then, when we get a windfall of something extra, I, I, give, I give to a ministry or um, to certain specific ministries that I specifically care about. I sense over time, God has put it on my heart to really care about certain things. Like, for instance, I really care about abortion. And so I care about crisis pregnancy centers. So occasionally centers. These are some of the people that really help people, the women who feel desperate that have to get an abortion. But they said, no, there's another way. And so, you know, I don't just think about it from a political perspective. So what do I do? So this is something I do. So when sometimes we get a windfall, I might think about them. Um, you know, one of the, the ministries that is on my mind is Harvest USA, which I've shared with you about people who are in sexual brokenness. That's like, that's the bars of sexual addiction. And so uh, I, think, I, I think about that. And so this is what we do, some of the things that we do, and I'm going to tell you about it. This is what we do. And then sometimes when someone begs for ministry, I generally say no. But occasionally, sometimes, the Lord, I sense the Spirit saying, you should give. And so then I do. So like, so there's a story. Uh, I mean, I, was, uh, I might have told you this story, but like we were walking, you know, my family was walking in San Francisco, because we, we, we were up there for a concert or something like that. We were walking for San Francisco, and this elderly woman, you could tell she, you know, she, she's like what we would call a bag lady, and she came up and she you know, asked for some money. And um, so I pulled out my wallet and handed her a five. And then you know, we walked about a block later, and then you can guess which child asked. You know, my youngest, <laughs> you know, they, she was, they were, all my children were younger, but Elizabeth goes, Daddy, why'd you do that? <laughs> and, um, and I said, because she's a widow, and the Bible says regularly that God cares about widows. I said, I don't know if I'll give to every person just because she's a woman, but generally, I told him, generally, I am less inclined to give to a man because I think a man should work, but some women, but some women are in desperate places, and God has mercy on them, so I give. But it isn't every single time. I, sometimes I give to a man. I just, sometimes I just give, like, I can just sense, like, God is coming, and then he just, he just says, give. So I give. <laughs> And I don't worry about it. So don't try to figure out, oh, are they addicted? Do they deserve it? Well, who cares if they deserve it? Because they probably don't deserve it. <laughs> Did you and I deserve it? So what's the point number one? Glean, have mindfulness, some space in your life, some margin in your life for the poor. Point number two, have a plan. Have a plan. Choose how you will love the hurting and the weak and the poor in, our, in the midst of you. When's the point number three? It's not all on you. This isn't about me and this other person. You know what it takes in order to really have this witness together? It takes us. It takes a we. 
This is, so, this is why it's so important to be a part of a church. And not just kind of just going there and doing your you know, one, one hour of Sunday morning religion, but to really be a part of the community. And if it's a gospel-proclaiming church, they will, they will have ways, because there's no what one person can do for one homeless person that you meet or one single mother that you meet isn't much. But when we get to death, do together, we can really make a dent into the poverty and the hurt of our city. We can make a real difference when we get together and do something else. So, like I've already, I've, do you notice how I just gave this plug for the Heritage Homes right in the middle of the sermon? I mean, and which I think when, you know, a couple of our sisters approached me and Pastor Young about this, you know, what I, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, that's God bringing life into our church. The gospel is alive in our church. Because Pastor Young and I don't have, we don't have all this bandwidth to go lead everything, but we, we are proclaimers of the gospel. And when we go do this together, then we make a difference in the city. And by the way, this is a huge difference in our witness. Because evangelism isn't just about me telling my non-Christian friend, do you want to come to church? That's just, that's the most concrete way that it can happen. But evangelism, sharing bread from heaven, sharing the good news of who Jesus is, is really, it's a we activity. And if we, as we go and do this, guess what? People will begin to notice. Because they know, because most secular people just think, well, there's just... You know, I don't know if there's a heaven, so I have to just make this as much heaven as I can. So then guess what? It's as normal and natural as can be to be utterly selfish. They know they don't sacrifice a good chunk of money for somebody who's hurting or is poor or even give it to church. Like, why would you give it to church? Because in their mind, and, and if we do not help the poor, in their mind, they're right. In their mind, that's just a bunch of like religion-y stuff that's irrelevant. But the fact is, if we, but they all know that they're hurting people, and maybe they could be hurting one day. And to really help and love someone who's really hurting, even when they don't deserve it, that's something different. And there is no way that even if we raise all the taxes and we have more welfare programs, there is no way that everybody can be met. So what it really takes, and it's not, it can't even be done by money and programs. Really what it takes is it takes the real true thing, real love, which is express the real mercy and real people-to-people, hands-on things. So even if there's a ministry where five people do something in, in one little corner of the city, it's just five people helping people with addiction, for instance. Everybody who comes into the orbit of that little ministry, people start to realize, this is real. This is real. This isn't just some irrelevant thing. And I would hope, to, I would hope that if the churches would really be the church in the city, the non-Christians will start to think, you know what, I, I really don't care for their sexual ethic, and um, you know, I hate this idea that Jesus is the only way, but I have to admit, it's a really good thing, these people in our city, because there would be a lot more poverty, a lot more hurt in our city if these churches weren't doing all the things that they do. See? That's part of the witness, the truth. So number one, have some margin, glean, have margin for the hurting in your life that comes into your life. In other words, when Jesus comes and visits you in that very inconvenient way. <laughs> Number two, um, have a plan. Choose to intentionally, uh, how, you, how you will intentionally, into something that moves you. Number three, it's not on you. We do this together. It's, it takes a we, not just a me. And number four, you should expect Jesus to come. <laughs> Jesus will come. 
and he's not going to look like you know, this nice bearded guy that you see in this picture. <laughs> Maybe he will be a bearded person. But Jesus is going to look, he's going to come in the guise of the hurting. And he's going to come and visit. You should expect him. And when he comes, it's your chance to love him. Um, you know, there's this, uh, there, there's this famous thing that um, Mother Teresa says that she was asked, why do you do this? You know, you guys know that about Mother Teresa. She, would, she loved the most desperately outcast people. They're, they were literally called the untouchables in Hindu society. She says, why do you touch these people and love them? She says, because I'm here to love my Jesus. Wow, that's a person who knows the gospel. Let me go to the final portion of my message. Jesus himself is mercy and grace to the poor. You know, I said to you that, um, I said to you that Jesus is going to come, right? So you should expect him. Um, I was thinking about this point <laughs> yesterday. I was actually doing some, I wasn't even working on my sermon. I was doing other things. Um, so last night, my family, uh, they went to, you know, you, know, you guys know that our, our small groups are called Gospel Life Families, GLF for short. And they went to a GLF fellowship dinner, and I was at home. I had a bunch of things to take care of for our, for our family, for my parents, certain, certain other things I got behind in. So I was at home, and while I was working on these things, I got this text. And this text said, are you Susan? <laughs> and, I said, and I said, well, obviously this person knows me. But I didn't, I didn't recognize, there was no name, there was no number. I said, so I said, yes, who are you? But I did recognize the area code. The area code was 760. And the, that is the area code for bishop. And um, for those of you who may not know, bishop is a, is a town that has a Paiute Native American reservation that our church has been going out to for multiple years. And um, I, I won't say his name, but he, he's somebody that we know. He, he's a brother. He's actually a Christian. And he texted me and says, Susan, will you, will you pray for me? My wife and my baby, we're homeless right now. And we have no place to stay till Friday. I was thinking, of all the people you could talk to, your family, your friends, other people, you're, you're texting me, and I'm hundreds of miles away. And I was thinking, like, how desperate must you be? And um, this is like, by coincidence, you guys know there's no such things as that, as that right? This is Jesus visiting me. And, it, and apparently his grandmother knows our church and says, his grandmother, her house is full, and she goes, I can't take you in. And she, and, and she says, well, why don't you call Susong? Maybe their church can help. And... I think if it was just up to me, I would feel totally at a loss. But I guess since, you know, I'm the pastor and it could, it's a we, we have a chance to love Jesus when he's knocked on my door through texting me. So he says, can I call you tomorrow so we could talk about this? I said, sure. So, I, you know, I told him a time that I knew this. You can call me tomorrow afternoon. Such and such a time is when I'll be available. And uh, I think if he doesn't call, I'll call him. See? And, and notice, this person is hundreds of miles away, and he's desperate. He's got a wife. He's got a baby. Um, I, I, I haven't held this baby, but Laura has held this baby. 
last year when I took Laura on a trip to, you know, arrange some of our stuff, she visited him. And she got to hold this baby. And we're only out there so many days a year, but this is where, where people are. But notice the witness. And they know, Susung and his church, they believe in Jesus. And maybe they'll have mercy when I have nobody else to turn to. See? Because when Jesus comes and sees us, you know, when Jesus walked around through the city, what did people do? They were hurting. They were, they were blind and they were lepers and they were poor and they would come up to him. Somebody's dying. They would come up to him. And what would Jesus do? He would take his body and he would touch them. He would show mercy on them. Did they deserve it? A lot of them did not deserve it. There were prostitutes. There were Roman centurions that came up. They don't deserve it. They're, they serve an evil, oppressive government. And yet he touched them. And yet now Jesus comes to us in the guise of the poor, and he says, do you know me? Because if you know me, then you're the body of Christ. You, we, we're his body now. We're his body. And some people know that the church, they might receive a mercy like from Jesus. Except it's funny, Jesus comes to us and says, do you know me? And like I said to you, Andrew Claven, he, he realized that it wasn't money or his talents or all these kinds of things, that really it was a love, it was a love that will last forever. That's the, the great good thing. That's what he's talking about in the book. The great good thing is knowing the love of God through Jesus. That's the real thing. And if when Jesus comes and visits, will we know that he has loved us? And we will love this person. I'd like to close this um, with, uh, with my favorite verse in the Bible. When it, whenever I talk about like money and mercy and generosity to those who are out, this is the verse I like to go to. And um, so if you've listened to me preach many times, you probably may have heard this verse, but it'll be good. You'll, you'll, you'll be happy to hear it again. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And in that passage, Paul is taking a collection for the poor among the churches. And he makes an appeal to the Corinthian church, would you give? But he doesn't use guilt. He says, you're a Christian. Don't you know you're supposed to give? That's not what he says. Don't you know Matthew chapter 25, that if you don't give to the poor, that Jesus might deny you? He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't use fear or guilt. This is what he says. He appeals to grace. For you know the grace, not guilt, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Brothers and sisters, we're not poor anymore because Jesus, he made himself poor. He made himself utter, utterly poor. He went to the the most poverty-stricken, most horrible place for undeserving people like you and me so that he would love us and with his poverty make us rich. So that when Jesus now comes and visits you and me, I ask you to recognize him and be happy to make yourself just a little bit poorer because you're already rich and love Jesus this person in front of you who's hurting, 
Who has Jesus come to visit you? Love him because he's already first loved us. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Lord, we, we're so often fall into the pattern of being Pharisees. We, we, we want your gospel to be kind of a cheap and easy message, and it's easy for us. But, but actually, loving you, even sometimes when we're always not, it's like it, it creates challenge in us. But to love you in the hurting people in us, what a great and glorious thing that is to know you. As we come to the table now, Lord, I pray that you just change the way we look at poverty. And we would begin to practice some of these wisdom points, have a plan, and to begin some practice of gleaning, of having space and margin in our life for the weak and the hurting in the midst of us. And I pray, Lord, that as we do this, the witness of sharing who you are, it would shine brightly. People would see us. We're not trying to do this because we're trying to do anything to them, or, but, but because we simply love you. And we're so grateful for the way you've loved us. Give us hearts of repentance and wash away our Phariseeism now with, the, with your blood. And may we eat the bread of your riches, which is so hard won by us through your poverty so that as we walk away from this table, we would be so filled with your joy and your riches that we would be like sons and daughters of the Most High God. We would be your body touching the poverty that comes to us. Praise Jesus' name.